Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 316 with Ben Horowitz of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Hope you are doing well. You and your family are healthy and safe during this crazy time. Uh, Nathan Chan here, Sion Publisher of Founder Magazine. And uh, if you're new to the podcast, we interview some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation to really find out like their experiences and lessons learned on how to start or grow a business. Um, today's guest is is actually one of my heroes. Uh, he wrote a book that it was just so profound for me as a founder. You've got to check it out called The Hard Things About Hard Things. Um, his name is Ben Horowitz and he is one of the founding partners of uh, one of the, the most prolific uh, venture capital firms in the world, A16Z. Uh, Andreessen Horowitz and um, yeah I had like I this is one of those things where um, some of you may know but eventually we're going to find a show host uh, to replace me and this was one of the ones where I was like you know what I love being able to speak to these incredibly smart minds Uh, and Ben has recently launched a book called what you do is who you are so I did this interview with him ooh, a few months back now, uh, but you've got to check out this book, incredible book about culture. Uh, as we're starting to grow the founder team, uh, this is something that's really important to me and I want to build an exceptional company culture. So I do get a little selfish and I do ask him a lot of questions that would benefit me, but I hope 
also benefit you as you build your company. Um, so yeah, look, this is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, you know, Ben is an incredibly smart person. Uh, like, yeah, this is next level guys. So if you are enjoying these episodes with incredible founders like this, please do take the time to leave us a review and please do share this with a friend. Uh, we work so hard to get these incredibly hard to reach founders that you wouldn't usually find on podcasts. They're some of the most successful founders of our generation. Please do share this with a friend. We're trying to help as many people as we can. We don't charge for these episodes. And we work super hard. We've got a team working around the clock, finding these incredible founders. So guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump to the show. So the first question I ask everyone that comes on, Ben, is uh, how did you get your job? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question for me. Um, well, so, you know, I had uh, built a company um, and was a customer of venture capital and you know, and kind of uh, going through that process as a technical founder, um, I just felt like venture capital wasn't really set up for technical founders becoming CEOs. It was sort of set up to, you know, maybe replace the technical founder as CEO or maybe like let them like sink or swim, but there was nothing that would kind of help you develop into that role. So, you know, my partner Mark and I had this idea that okay, well, maybe, um, you know, we could create that firm that would help um, with that problem. And so, you know, that's what we did. And that's how I got the job. We started the firm. We were able to raise the money. Um, and here I am. Yeah. So um, massive, like massive fan of, of your work, like your book, um, The Hard Things, About Hard Things is one of my favorite books I've read about management and, and, and startups. Um, and and really resonated with me as as a startup founder as well. So, um, you've recently written a new book. Um, I'd I'd love to hear like what what compelled you to write. Uh, what you do is who you are. Yeah. So um, you know, and it's a very different book. I would say you know I, I for a hard thing about hard things fans, there's um, like a few Easter eggs in there, uh, but it's a it's a very different kind of book, and it really was sort of the book about what was difficult for me or the most difficult kind of thing for me as CEO. And it was something that, you know, I, I didn't quite address in a real way in the first book, just because um, it's such a complicated topic and it was so hard for me to learn. And it's not a, um, it's not a contained thing. It's sort of a, uh, you know, it's a very, very, very complex, you know, complex systematic problem. So, you know, it kind of breaks down, you know, what is, you, you kind of have to start with this question is, well, what is culture anyway? You know, like, what is it? And it comes, uh, in, my favorite definition comes from Bushido, the way of the warrior, uh, which is like a culture is not a set of beliefs. It's a set of actions. So, you know, specifically, it's not the values you put on the wall. It's not, you know, what you say on all hands. It's not what you tweet. It's not who you believe you are. It's what you do. That's who you are. And then the question organizationally is, well, how do you get people to do what you want them to do so that they can, you can be as an organization who you want to be? And it's very subtle little things like, did somebody return a phone call? Did uh, do you show up to a meeting on time? You know, when you do a deal, what do you care about the price or the partnership? 
um, you know, where do you stay the Four Seasons or the Red Roof and all these things kind of start to create a culture. Um, and they're not things that show up in KPIs or OKRs or mission statements or that, you know, and the like. Uh, and then a lot of the techniques that people had developed for kind of dealing with culture don't work at all. So yeah, you can put it in somebody's performance review, um, but how do you know they even got the phone call, let alone returned it? And and these things all kind of, you know, lead to this question of, well, how do you move the culture? And I say move the culture because you don't really set the culture. Even if you're the CEO, you kind of have to influence it and kind of help people modify their behaviors to get to like the outcome you want. Um, so you know, for all those things, you know, it's the thing I struggled with most as CEO. I think it's the thing that I see um, the CEOs I work with know how to do least of all, <laughs> um, even though they all, you know, everybody thinks they know about culture because like, of course you do. Everybody lives in a culture, but you really know how to move and change it. And, and that turns out to be an exceptionally hard problem. Do you think it's a, a vital component of a company's success, like, like uh, you know, Peter Drucker famously said, uh, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." What's your what's your take there? Yeah, um, so you know, it's interesting in that you can have a great culture um, and a product that's not that compelling, and your company's failing, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and it's very possible for a great culture to produce like a mediocre product. Like that's also true. So, like, it's not the most fundamental thing i think the most fundamental thing is still that you like have some like really compelling product that everybody wants uh but like as you grow and change and so forth um one it, it certainly will help you succeed and it will help you succeed particularly in times you know where things aren't going that well um but i think more importantly it is at the end of the day it's who you are like that's what it's like to work at your company. That's what it's like to interact with your company. Um, that's the imprint you're putting on your world is, is cultural in nature. Um, so in that sense, it is the most important thing. And, you know, to you know, Peter Drucker's point, like, you know, he, he is, a, I would say, a literary genius for a management kind of writer. Um, so culture eat strategy for breakfast is like a marvelous saying. Um, on the other hand, like culture and strategy kind of must cohere. And what I mean by that is like every culture is not for every company. And particularly, so if you look at Amazon, Amazon's got this culture that is like frugality is a very strong component of the culture. And that makes sense because their strategy is to be the low price leader. So you know, if you go on Amazon, you don't have to price shop because you know they're going to come with a cheap. And in order to achieve that, you kind of have to watch every dollar because otherwise, like, how are you going to, you know, kind of have margin and be the low price leader? Apple doesn't have frugality as a cultural element um, and their strategy, and it wouldn't go with their strategy because, you know, they want to build like the premium perfect product. And, you know, Steve Jobs was kind of got fired for like spending too much money on the like most exotic components. Uh, and so, you know, and then you go to their campus and it costs $5 billion and, and all that kind of thing. And you go, well, 
you know, why is that okay culturally? Well, because that's the culture that enables that strategy. So, you know, culture and strategy go together. And I think when you define a culture, you're not defining like some generic set of beliefs. You're saying, okay, what is the company's differentiated strategy and how can the culture support that? I see. And when do you think like startup founders should be thinking about this? Um, like, let's just say you, because in, in the early days, in the first few years, you, you know, you have a small team, a handful of people, um, and you've got all these competing priorities, you know, generating more sales, getting more customers, making the product better, working on strategy, customer service, team, like, yeah. 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 So look, I, I actually think, and this is probably, you know, controversial among some, like day one is not necessarily the time to look try to establish a culture first of all like culture can change um and has to change over time it's not your mission statement it's like the set of behaviors you want to run with and so feeling like you have to get it all day one like it's going to last forever is just the wrong way to think about it secondly you know on day one you don't know you don't necessarily have your strategy worked out you've not been through the idea maze you don't have product market fit um, and then you don't know the kinds of things that people are going to do or do that you like and don't like and that you think make it a healthy work environment or not. And so I think you kind of have to develop a theory of what that is as as you then start to um, kind of lay out and enforce certain cultural elements. And so I, I don't think it's a day one activity. I do think that it's very valuable. Um, and, the, you know, I wrote the book in such a way that so that people could understand what culture is, how it moves, what are the things that affect it, what are the things that you say that have side effects on the culture so that you can see it as a leader and you don't, you know, you don't accidentally create it. Uh, and so I think that's the kind of most important thing is to get your kind of cultural, cultural understanding and skill set together so that if you see something happening, that and you go oh yeah like that person's doing that but you know it's not really that bad a violation and on an individual basis like I don't want to yell at them because I don't want to hurt their feelings and so forth but like what they're doing is going to like set the culture down like a horrible path um, but you don't even see that part you only see like what they actually did so you let it go and then the culture starts to degenerate and then everybody pays the price um, and so you want like that awareness very early but I don't think you necessarily have to set okay we're going to be this and we're going to be that and the other like day one i think that's something that can wait yeah because i think it's sometimes something that's it's easily overlooked um you know where you you find yourself you, let's just say you know you, your company's doing okay you've got you've got product market fit um you, you're trying to get more customers you're trying to hire and then you know a few years down the track you're just like oh okay like what are we going to do about our culture what like how, how are we going to strategically structure it in some ways um you this you know it could be a cancerous and it could have already spread uh yeah but you can change culture you know like yes you can do things and it'll create side effects but like you have to know what you want if you're going to get it and like if you don't know what you want in a culture and you try and like lay out all these things and pour you know whatever concrete around it it's not necessarily going to land. I mean, I, I give you an example from the book. Um, one of the things they go through is um, a prison gang called the Melanics that uh, Shaka Senghor ran. 
and the kind of basic cultural idea behind the, or the, the most important cultural idea behind the Melanex was loyalty. Uh, and loyalty was a competitive advantage for them in that, although the other gangs were much larger, um, if it came down to confrontation, uh, you know, in those other gangs, you know, maybe 20% of the guys would actually engage. Whereas with the Malacs, they'd have 100% compliance because this super tight kind of loyalty and discipline around it. Um, so he gets, you know, and so, the, you know, that was the thing they had to preserve. Now, there, there was a guy coming into the prison um, who was kind of, a, you know, an abusive guy, you know, bad guy. He had been, you know, beat up women and these kinds of things. And he had actually killed one of the members of the Milanix daughter. Um, and so Shaka had this situation, which is, you know, because of the way they define loyalty, he had to basically, this guy had to, had to, had to go. Um, you know, they couldn't like let him come into the prison and be around because the loyalty to his member whose daughter was killed was, was that important. But as soon as the guy, this guy Stoney enters prison, he starts attending services at the Nation of Islam. And when you do that, you get protection. The Nation of Islam is a very, very powerful gang, not only in the Michigan state system, but kind of nationally. And so now they've got like this issue. So Shaka goes to talk to the head of the Nation of Islam and he says, like, you know, you've got this guy who came in, he killed one of my members' daughter, like I need him. And the head of the Nation of Islam said, well, okay, but like one of your guys killed one of or my member's cousins. And so we need him in exchange. And that also, like giving that guy up would have been a violation of the loyalty principle. So Chuck tried to negotiate. He said, look, you know, I'm talking about a member here who was wrong. And, you know, I'm talking about protecting a member. You're talking about like, this guy's not even a member of the Nation of Islam. He's just attending services. And the Nation of Islam guy was like, no, um, we're not doing that deal. So they're like literally at a stalemate, you know, with the kind of most dangerous kind of rival gang in the whole system. Um, and that stalemate goes for three like, three weeks of negotiations. Nothing's moving. Um, so Shaka finally makes a decision to preserve loyalty in the culture by going and getting this guy. And they get him. And the Nation of Islam doesn't retaliate. So it validates that like the loyalty principle made them very, very powerful. Um, but at the end of the story, he says to me, but you know, there was a side effect um, that I didn't even know about. And I was like, well, what is that? He said, look, we were fucking savages. Where we just like create a culture of like killers with no redemption, no forgiveness, no nothing, uh, you know, in order to preserve this loyalty thing. And so that's like a good lesson. And he had something to find that work. He did this thing that like created a, a much worse side effect. Um, but, you know, and I go through it in the book, he does a number of things to kind of move them off of that violent culture. And so like culture can change. It can move. That doesn't mean, um, you know, like, and when you define things early, you may not even know what the consequences of those are. So that's, you know, when I talk about the complexity of this, like this is what I'm talking about. Okay, so let's say 
you you know you're at a stage where you're starting to define your culture and and you wanted to spread uh, internationally, like like for me right now, like we just set up an office in New York, and I want to make sure that culture spreads. What do people need to be thinking about? What do they need to do to make sure it spreads? Yeah, well, look, there's there's many many techniques, and um, I go through a lot of them. You know, they, it's a broad set of things in the toolbox that you can do to move the culture. Um, you know, that ranges from you know the the kind of rules that you set to to move behavior. I, I'll give you just like a really simple example. So. Here at the firm, um, we have this kind of cultural idea around, you know, you should be respectful to entrepreneurs. Uh, and like, that's a pretty simple thing on the surface. It's like, oh, yeah, you're going to have like respect for the entrepreneurs you deal with. Great. Um, but every venture capital firm believes they do that. Um, and almost none of them do. And you go, well, why are they like so disrespectful? And it comes down to um, the dynamic is between a venture capitalist and an entrepreneur is like, I have the money. You need the money. <laughs> um, you have to come see me to get the money. And, you know, that just kind of makes the venture capitalist feel like they're the important person and the entrepreneur is the less important person, just that dynamic alone. So how do you, you have to reprogram that if you want it to kind of spread throughout the organization and you can't just like say it as a value, like, you know, I'm going to come yell at you and put your performance review. If you're not like, that doesn't do anything. Like you don't even know if they're being respectful. Um, so what we did at the firm is we created a rule, which is very surprising to people who kind of enter the firm, which is like, if you're late for a meeting with an entrepreneur, then you must pay a fine. And that fine is $10 a minute. Um, so, Oh, you had to go to the bathroom. That's $50 that you owe because you have to go to the bathroom. You know, you yeah. had a really important phone call. Okay, that's $100. And people say, well, like, why, why am I paying to work here? Like, this is not fair. Uh, and my response is always, look, because you've got to plan your day such that you respect that entrepreneur's time. So you need to plan when you go to the bathroom. You need to plan when you have that important call. So that you're on time for that because building a company is extremely hard. And so just having to hear that story and know every time when an entrepreneur comes in and they have to go to that meeting, that they have to plan their day like that, that reinforces that concept that, no, we really value entrepreneurs' time and we're not messing around on that. And so that's something that, you know, is a mechanic that can inform a daily behavior as opposed to some speech at an all hands or some thing that you aspire to that you're not committed to. And, uh, and so, you know, that's one of like, you know, whatever, a few dozen things and, you know, that I talk about in terms of, okay, how do you get the behaviors you want? Yeah. So when it comes to kind of these rules, so obviously you have your values and then you have your rules. Um, you just build upon it and, and, you know, eventually build out like a, like, what are your thoughts on like the Netflix culture deck? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's like a great deck. Um, and, uh, you know, and a lot of that, and, and it's also a culture deck in some ways and more of a philosophy deck, right? Like this is our, our operational philosophy. Now you have to do things like the amazing thing about the Netflix culture deck is that, you know, kind of people, in Netflix say that they live up to it. Um, so those are like the principles are there. Now they do put in mechanics, right? Like, 
okay, you're going to say, you know, we like people, but we're going to fire them fast and we're going to give them a lot of money. Like that's a pretty big statement that you're going to pay whatever way over market severance. Like that's putting your money where your mouth is. And that that's the kind of thing that moves the culture because people go, okay, like these are gigantic packages that people are actually happy to get when they're fired. And so, you know, that's another kind of thing, which is like they could say, everybody says, whatever, we fire fast. Um, and like somebody's not a fit and so forth, but almost nobody does it. They do it, but the way they get to it is with this other thing, which is they write these gigantic checks to people who leave. Yeah, so it's a set of rules and principles um, and really your own personal beliefs around the way you see the world or, or the kind of company you want to build. No, that's right. And not every culture is for every company and not every cultural element is for every company. And, um, you know, different people have different ideas of how they want it to be. And I think that, like, it does start with that. Like, what's your point of view on the right way to do business at your company? And then, you know, how can you support your strategy? Now, like, if Netflix was a different type of company, where they weren't looking for like these very, very special, unique people to work there where they needed like whatever, an army of workers. Um, like McDonald's has a great culture, you know, around hiring people, but they're looking for a totally different kind of employee, right? They're trying to take a kid who is, you know, needs money and trying to train them how to become part of a workforce, you know? And so they do an amazing job of training people with no skills. Like, Netflix would never take those people. They would like, and if they did, they'd fire them right away because um, that's not what they're looking to build. You know, in Netflix, they're looking for like like the highest, most, you know, whatever people who already come with this elite skill set. Whereas McDonald's is saying, I'm going to take anybody and I'm going to teach them how to work and be friendly. And so that's a very different business philosophy, which leads to a different culture, which leads to a different set of principles around hiring and kind of maintaining people. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so one thing that I've often think about myself in my own journey is, is creating a high performance culture at our company. Um, what advice do you have around that? <laughs> well, I mean, and it depends what you mean by high performance, but you know, a lot of it, like, like there's, there's like these simple questions, which is like, you know, some people think of high performance as like hard work. So like, do people go home at five or do they go home at eight, you know, and when they come to work <laughs> and like, how hard do they work when they're there? And like, what are all the things that like put that motion in place? And, you know, a lot of that, you know, there's many things that go into that, how you make decisions, how you recognize the work, how you even know, like who's putting in the effort and who's not and all these kinds of things. And you know, and, you know, what's the standard of performance? And I think, look, Netflix on that, uh, you know, one of the things that they do for standard of performance is they say, like, you have to be at a high standard or you have to go. And, like, just to make it very easy for managers to have you go, this is what we do. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of one approach to do it. I mean, and that's like the extreme, like, stick, like you're fired. Uh, you know, there's other things, which is like, how do like how do people get recognized for their work like and i'm not talking about annual performance review like that is way too infrequent to set a culture i mean like 
on like a very, very frequent basis, how does recognition work in the system? Uh, and like, and how broadly does it go? And uh, how systematic, you know, and how do, you know, do promotions work on the basis of who has the best relationship with the manager? Um, or do they work on like pure meritocracy and performance and like how frequently does that get looked at and so forth? So, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, how do you think about an individual um, and their kind of incentives to do anything on any given day um, versus like the context of a team or a group or, or these kinds of things and how those play together. So, you know, it's really a systems design question to get to high performance, but, you know, you have to commit to it. And like, it's work to do that. Although it is the gift that keeps on giving because once the people who are rewarded and have the kind of best, if you look at the people who are rewarded and have the best positions are the ones who everybody respects as the best performers, then that's a culture you get. You know, if it's the person who took credit for the other person's work and, you know, is the best schmoozer, that's the behavior you'll get. And I think that a lot of times people want to make somebody happy and, you know, they're very friendly with them and, you know, they don't dig into who actually did the work and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's when you get uh, corruption in the high performance culture. And does that mean like, you know, on the, on the premise of your book, what you do is who you are. Um, that's a very kind of loaded title. Um, and we talk about high performance culture. Like the, does that, what are your thoughts? Like, does the founder have to be the hardest working person, hardest working person in the company? Yeah. So look, there is, and, and look, there's high performance and then there's long hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so th th those are two different things. So there's no question that the, the founder, you know, particularly the chief executive uh, is going to, whatever they do um, is going to have a, an impact on the culture. So like, for example, if you go, okay, you know, we really care about feedback here and like giving feedback to everybody and we want everybody to know where they stand and how their performance is going because we think that that like feedback will help everybody get better. But then the chief executive never writes any performance review or never gives any feedback. Then like that's not really going to be a cultural element that sticks. Um, and, you know, in particular, I, I would say the sad thing about it for people who are CEOs is like your good behavior won't necessarily be pervasive, but your bad behavior probably will be. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you want a high performance culture and you have a low performing leader, that's going to be very difficult to do. Um, you know, the hours that a CEO works definitely have an effect on the organization um, in the, in that, like if the CEO is there at nine o'clock at night, then that's going to incent people to be there with them. Uh, and in fact, uh, my friend Dick Costello, when he took over at Twitter, like one of the things was everybody went home at like 4.30. Um, wow. It was like, it was, uh, my friend Bill Campbell said you could have set a bomb off at Twitter at five o'clock in the afternoon and the only people who would have died would have been the cleaning people. Uh, and so like, that's how it was. And one of the things he did is he just said, okay, well, like I'll take a meeting with anybody, but like, it's going to be like seven at night. 
and like I'm gonna go to dinner and then I'm go back to work and like I'm gonna work seven to ten and like you, you want a decision made you need anything done just come see me um, but like if you want a meeting with me during the day like that's gonna be a lot harder and so that really kind of changed the hours dynamic now there's always this question of if you get them there longer hours does that really mean they're working harder or are they doing something else and you have to decide like what that means in your culture and your context you know in our you know if you've got like a an engineering culture and you're building products and you're going for feature velocity you know oftentimes like hours do matter uh and you know and kind of having people there late and so forth you look at something like a venture capital firm and more important in performance for us is like how responsive are we like during the day um you know is a big thing because that's usually when the requests come in and like can we turn them around like instantly and with maximum uh attentive and helpfulness or you know are we just kind of sluggish is it hard to get a, the organization to move and so forth and so you know like for a lot of what we do that technique it's just not not as relevant we're not writing any software late at night yeah no okay that makes sense because the reason i asked that question for context is is like I'm, I'm getting a little selfish with some of these questions is i think about this stuff for myself like you know um we you know we've got about no, 40 good. people and we've got about 40 people and we've got, i'm pushing really hard and and i want to lead by example and i'm working like crazy and but i love it and and i just you know i, I think to myself like you know i'd love to ask ben like what, what what is his take like should the founder be work be the hardest working person in the company if you want to create yeah, yeah. well you know, like a, another huge thing that affects that um is kind of first week on the job and so I'll give you an example from the book. Um, I'll give you another Princeton example. I don't know why I'm on prison examples today, but so, <laughs> yeah. you know, Shaka's first day in jail, like they get to jail um, and, you know, they, they have a quarantine area, but they let him out of quarantine. And he and the other six guys that come out of quarantine are in the rec room and, you know, a prisoner walks up to another prisoner, stabs him in the neck, the guy dies and the prisoner throws the shank in the trash can and goes to the cafeteria and has a sandwich. And Shaka says to me, he goes, you know, when I saw that, I had to ask myself, could I do that? And I said, well, what are you talking about? Like you, you're actually in prison for murder. Um, didn't you do that? And he said, no, 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 no. What I did was like, I was a drug dealer. Like guys came to see me. One guy knew the other guy didn't. The guy who I didn't know was supposed to stay in the car, he jumped out of the car and came at me very aggressive. I had a gun in my pocket and I shot him like it was a reaction. This guy spent weeks fashioning a two liter bottle into a weapon, then had to decide, was I going to stab him in the stomach or stab him in the neck, you know, wound him or kill him, and then kills the guy and, you know, throws a shank in the trash and keeps it moving to the chow hall and has a sandwich. But I couldn't do that. But I had to ask myself, could I do that because that's what it took to survive in this place. And so like in that instant, he's like oriented into a very, very, very violent culture of sort of lions and lambs. And that has a way stronger impression and motivation into his subsequent behavior than any kind of like rules or training or anything. Um, it's like the ultimate object lesson. And I think as people walk into companies, Look, they look at, you know, that first week is a 
super strong impression. People look at the behaviors. Oh, he just took credit for her work and he's like the most important guy here. Okay, that's how you move. Can I do that? Like that's that's what they're asking. Not can I work hard? Not can I be a high performer? Can I do that? Can I kind of elbow my way to the kind of center of the attention? And so you really have to think about when you bring people on board, what is their experience like? Because that's going to be the thing. Like you can have a cultural value that says we're high performance. Um, nobody gives a fuck about that value. <laughs> like they care about like, you know, what does it take to win there? And yeah. so you have to understand yeah. that from that perspective, which is why like how people come into the company is so important. I always you know, like tell, you know, uh, my CEO is like, like new employee orientation, onboarding training. Like what does the experience look like? What does that move like is really critical because that, determine so much of your because once you decide how you're going to behave like you don't change that that often once you start going to work you get into your habits and 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 that's what they are yeah so that first week of onboarding is so key and being really really structured with it and strategic yeah yeah and then like and then kind of building into kind of that philosophy into your managers that like okay these are our expectations like when you come to work here as an engineer like this is how we do things here. I don't care what you did at your last company. Like, when do they have that conversation? Like, is that like, is that at the performance review? Cause that's not going to do anything. It's got to be like, you know, day one, day two, like, this is how it goes. And then everybody, you know, when you teach it, you learn it um, and you look for it and you say, okay, like how, how does this work? And um, you know, so these things like they're easy to neglect, but the long-term consequences are severe. Yeah, no, I love it. Thank you. Um, another question around culture. A lot of the time people say or think that it's around the benefits, it's around the office, it's around, you know, the, the Googles of the world. Um, you know, we're, we're going through a process right now setting up a, an office in Melbourne um, and, um, you know, I want to make it look awesome. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, having a chef come in on Fridays to make lunches for everyone do you think that stuff matters? What should people be thinking about like when it comes to defining their culture around the space that people work in? Do, do you care about that kind of stuff when you speak to like when you're mentoring your, your CEOs or? Yes. I, I mean, I, I do think um, that, like those things all have an impact and, you know, a lot of it, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, those things are subtle and it's like, what does it feel like to work here? And so the space, it's meaningful, but then like how you use the space, you know, kind of to your earlier point, like, okay, all that, if all that stuff is there and then like, but people don't come to the office or they work for home home or so forth and it's cavernous and what does that feel like as opposed to everybody's there and they're engaged and it's a good conversation space and the acoustics work well and you can hear who you're talking about, but you can feel the energy in the room and that kind of thing. So. Um, these are, you know, subtle. So I think you really kind of have to think about what you're trying to achieve with that, with those ideas, and then combine them with whatever else, you know, kind of your expectation is around the people. Because it, like, it's the pe people's kind of behavior and interaction in the context of the space that that matters, um, and. You know, or if you may just want to be making a statement that says, look, we're a 
big important company or we're a little scrappy startup or we're like a you know venture capital firm that can guarantee your success or whatever like you're trying to you know convey with that it's a little bit also you know how you dress is also uh you know has a very high impact on that um you know one of the things uh i talk about in the book is kind of the caa strategy of kind of just their dress code set the culture and the impression they made on the market um you know and everybody was wearing suits whereas like all the competition was wearing you know tie-dyed shirts and jeans and so forth and trying to feel like the talent um whereas CAA was trying to feel like the ultimate set of professionals that the talent would want to work with. And, you know, that that made a very strong cultural statement in the industry. Um, and I think, you know, space is like that. So a, a lot of it is a statement of, um, you know, what our intention of, uh, about what kind of place this is. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. Super mindful of your time. A um, couple more questions. Uh, one was just about um, courage. I've heard you talk about it before, and it's something that you think is really important that you look for in founders. Why? Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of the a big basis of leadership. Um, I think, look, uh, Aristotle called it the the first virtue because the other virtues don't actually go into effect uh, unless you have it. And there's a great line in um, the Hagakari, which basically says, look, you know, on matters of, you know, cowardice and integrity and these kinds of things, um, in ordinary times, they don't matter. But when something happens, all is revealed. And you know, true courage is like that in that everybody has integrity until it's going to cost you something, right? You know, like if you just think of like on a, on a, like a simple thing, you know, yeah, everybody's honest. Um, but then like if they have to, whatever, tell their spouse about like something that they did that they weren't supposed to and they feel like it's going to cost them their marriage okay that's when like that honesty goes away real quick uh and you know similarly okay i'm we're super high integrity but now we need to make the quarter and like are we going to stretch the truth a little bit about the product to kind of get that quarter done um and every single thing you know and and building these companies as you know is like it's a very high pressure situation and you have these things that test you all the time um and well, another one, like a very simple one is, hey, I want to be liked. Uh, and do I have the courage to like think about the people who are not in the room when I make a decision? So somebody comes to me, I really like them. They're my buddy. They're my, you know, they're my kind of brother in this struggle to build this company. And they come and, you know, they need a raise because they've got a situation and so forth. Am I thinking about all the other people who didn't come and ask me for that raise when I have that conversation, or am I only thinking about how I want to feel when that person kisses me on the cheek because I gave them the money? You know, like that, like that's what I'm talking about with courage. And you know, it's a thing that, like, like you don't ever get any of the other elements if you don't have it. And it's not something that's an absolute thing. It's something that develops over time and 
you know, nobody's courageous on everything and nobody knows what the right thing is in all situations, but doing what's easy uh, or kind of feels good at the time is often the thing that's not courageous. And that's, that's how I would say 95% of the people in this world are, um, is they're going to do what makes the person they're talking to happy. And that's a very dangerous quality in a leader. Yeah, no, I love it. Thank you. Um, all right, two last questions. We'll wrap. Um, I know, I, I know, you don't want to talk about personal stuff, but favorite rapper of two thousand and nineteen. So, well, you know, the album that I think I may have liked the best is the Young Thug album. Um, so much fun. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought that was really good. I mean, you know, like Drake is amazing, um, and he continues to put out great stuff. So, you know, I don't want to like. <laughs> it's not like a hierarchy ranking it's just like i really like that album um but you know there there there's there there's a few guys doing good things if uh you know well i didn't want to go into <laughs> some of these guys there's a lot of crime also going on in rap these days so. yeah no good um and then uh where's the best place people can find out more about uh the book what you do is who you are yeah, so we have a website, actually. Um, yeah, if you go to the A16Z website, there's a big old, like, book promotion thing. And if you click on that, it describes a lot about the book. Yeah, it's, it's a16z.com slash book slash what you do. But if you go to a16z.com, it's easy to click there. Okay, awesome. All right, fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much uh for your time ben and, and kim for facilitating this I, I really appreciate all of your work and um yeah thank thank you again i hope you have a great day okay thanks so much it was yeah. fun hey guys i hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know our mission at founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.